Greetings and salutations, and welcome to the show dedicated to revisiting films, albums, and video games, and ask anyone for seconds. I'm your host, Dave. Hi, how are you? I'm glad to hear it. Are you wearing a new perfume or a cologne? I only ask because you smell good. Oh, jeez, I hope that wasn't too forward of me. This time we look back at the Australian hard rockers ACDC's back catalogue and focus in on 1985's Fly on the Wall. ACDC, Dave, mate, I thought they only had three good albums that sounded all the same. Well, you'd actually be wrong. They actually have 15 albums that all sound the same. <laughs> Funny. So, Dave, why are we doing Fly on the Wall? This 1985 album seems to be the one that divides the fans down the middle. One half of them think that it's a worthy addition to the ACDC canon, while others seem to think it's uninspired drivel. Having only heard two of the tracks of this album, and with talks of a new ACDC album that just won't go away at the time of recording, it feels like maybe now is a good time as any to visit one of their most contentious albums. forgetting something why yes we are that all important context dump i got you sorted for all your contextual dumping needs shall we begin so fly on the ball has previously mentioned it's released in 1985 on june the 28th the recording of the album took place at mountain studios montreux switzerland interesting fact for you about mountain studios it's actually where freddie mercury and montserrat cabal recorded their barcelona album who says that podcasts don't teach you anything anyway Back to ACDC. Where the previous album, Flick of the Switch, was produced by the entire band, Fly on the Wall was actually produced by brothers Angus and Malcolm Young in an attempt to regain some of their energy, rawness and simplicity of their earlier work. Whether this works or not is something that we're going to discuss today in this episode. The reason for the lack of producer? Singer of the band, Brian Johnson, explained that while everyone went into the studio with a producer, they were effectively still telling the lad what they wanted to hear, so basically, it was an expensive extra set of ears. I mean, if you ask me, that's a perfectly valid reason. While it only sold 1 million units in the US on release, it paled in comparison with sales of 4 million units in the US for those about to rock. Yes, that's the album after Back in Black. Despite all of this, Fly on the Wall still debuted at number 7 in the UK Top 75 Albums and number 32 in the Billboard 200 in the States. So all in all... It's not bad going for the Aussie hard rockers that had not long just recovered after the death of singer Bon Scott. The band even had enough time to make a VHS of the band performing some of the tracks from the album to help promote it, which would have helped given how MTV was then rising to prominence and would have guaranteed some form of airtime on TV for the rockers. Now that was a girthy context dump. Yes, I just made a poop joke. Deal with it. Now, let's answer that question that the whole purpose of this podcast serves. Anyone for seconds? So, track one. It's the self-titled track, Fly on the Wall. We start with that stabby staccato riff. I'm liking it. It's a rocking track. Maybe it's a little bit too much reverb on Mr. Johnson's voice. Although, having said that, 
we are straight in the middle of the 1980s and that was pretty much the norm for rock and roll at the time. Just maybe this is a bit extreme. Sounds great on the whole though. And once you get that screeching guitar load coming halfway through the track, you can't help but tap your foot. It's not the strongest opening track I've ever heard, but it definitely does the job. As I said before in the Lulu episode, the opening track needs to be a statement of how your album is going to sound. And obviously, like I said, it doesn't do a bad job of it. So now we move on to track two, Shake Your Foundations. Now this is more like it. We have a nice steady groove into that sing-along chorus that you just can't help but get involved with. This is ACDC at the headbanging fest. It's catchy, the solo rips your face off with its ferocity, and well, it just rocks hard. Maybe this should have been the opening track. It rocks hard, makes your head bang, and definitely forget that first track. So, track three, it's called First Blood. This track ain't half bad either. Sure, the lyrics aren't exactly subtle, but the guitar work is sterling as always, with Angus really getting to show off how versatile he is and Malcolm Young laying down a solid foundation. It's cool stuff. It's just ACDC doing their thing. Danger. That's the name of the fourth track. This one's a little bluesier, and that's a refreshing welcome at this point. I've always found ACDC to do blues well, and Danger is no exception. The Don't Talk to Strangers! Hook is simple and is catchy. I guarantee you'll be humming it for a little while after you've heard it. The production really shines in this as the simplicity of it suits the track. You can really feel the raw energy and passion come through in the playing. Sink the pink! Although it's a Finley Vale knob gag, it's exactly what you expect from ACDC. Once again, they don't put a foot astray as they rock in the way only they can. It's a heavy head-banging triumph. It's definitely one of the highlights of the album for me. It's ACDC at their raunchy, playful best. I've even forgotten about the vast amount of reverb on Brian Johnson's voice. We're over halfway at this point, and I'm hoping, nay, praying, that the mighty Akadaka keep their foot on the gas. Then playing with girls comes on. Now this is some good hard rock. It just delivers a punch to the face straight out of the gate. Everything is just right. The band deliver a most excellent slice of rock and roll. In comes the absolutely standout solo from Angus. This has to be one of his most ferocious solos that I've ever heard. It's delivered in that trademark Angus Young style. It's like a chainsaw that just cuts through you and it leaves you breathless. For me, this is the best track on the album, based purely on the way it starts so strong and it pummels you into surrendering yourself to the mighty DC. Then we move into Stand Up. It suffers because it follows on from the previous track. The chorus is catchy, you know, it's good. I can imagine it being chanted across the stadium. It's not to say that it's a bad song, it's just nothing special. It's a bit like the album so far. It's standard ACDC fair. There's not much else to say about it. Next! Track 8 now. We're slowly approaching the end. How are we going to fare? So far, I'm feeling good. It, the album's not as bad as it's made out to be. Once again, we have some fairly standard staccato riffs, fairly pedestrian drumbeat. The lack of fill rev really shows on the album, but we're going to talk about that a bit later on. Now, back to track 8. I mean, it's just fine. Once again, it's nothing really special. It's just fine. It rocks, don't get me wrong, but it's just nothing to write home about, or write a podcast about. Well, you know what I mean. Let's just hope we pick up some steam again soon. And now we're back in business. And that's not just the name of the track. The intro is more special as we're treated to some damn 
fine solo work with reverb that just complements really well. A rhythm section is tight, working out that steady groove for Angus to go off on one. When the chorus kicks in, you can really feel Brian screaming his heart out. And damn, does it feel good. The track reminds me of ZZ Top Cool that they perfected around this time as well. It's sturdy, robust and effortlessly cool. It's good stuff. Definitely seek this track out. Okay, we're on to the final track now. Track 10, Send for the Man. Will we finish on a high? Um, well, it's not a damp squib, that's for sure. The intro is a definite throwback to Highway to Hell, and that's appreciated. The rest of the track, though, pretty much standard ACDC fare. It's inoffensive, and it just does its thing. It's such a shame for the album to pretty much just limp out the way it does. And following that track, we are officially out. Overall, I can see why people don't view Fly on the Wall as one of DC's best, especially following on from Back in Black and For Those About to Rock. Those are some, there are some truly standout tracks like Shake Your Foundations and Playing With Girls. As an experiment for the band to regain their energy and passion for youth, it actually works. You can hear how much fun Angus and co are having. While the reverb on Johnson's voice does great after a while, it works to make the band have a real sense of them being alive, and that's to be applauded given the energy you can feel the band has playing together. They capitalise on this in their VHS, as I previously mentioned, in which they play in a very small, dank bar. And obviously, it works wonders. As I've also mentioned before, the absence of Phil Rudd is apparent on this. While I can't write off his successes, Simon Wright who actually does a perfectly good job, it's just missing that certain edge. I mean, you could say it's missing that certain razor's edge. Uh, see what I did there? I did a deep cut ACDC joke. Anyway, I do feel that Rudd would have added something extra, although I do appreciate the reasons for his dismissal. You know, that being actually physically fighting with Angus and many other whole apparent reasons that we're not going to go into right now. Simon Wright is fine, but the drumming is too slick and professional, and as a result, the songs do lose something in the process. Especially with rock and roll, you want that loose feeling. If you were playing something like a big band or orchestra, maybe you would want tight drums, just to kind of keep the beat and keep the rhythm going. With rock and roll, you want something more loose, and that is the main problem. I mean, that is even where the whole joke comes from, saying that all the ACDC albums sound the same. Part of that problem is the drumming. So in summation, I'd personally give this album a miss. Maybe seek out Shake Your Foundations, Play With Girls, possibly Sink The Pink, and you've got a nice, neat little EP that sums up the album. Although, mind you, the band did actually need to make the album to experiment and further themselves, much like Metallica did with St. Anger, but I'm sure we're going to cover that in another time. Hook and tease, hook and tease! Thanks so much for listening to this silly little podcast. If you like what you've heard, please leave a like, rating and review on your platform of choice as it helps to make my podcast grow. A bit like Evil Reader's Monsters did in Power Rangers. If you fancy carrying on the conversation, we're on Twitter as at Anyone Podcast and on Facebook as Anyone for Seconds Podcast. Search for it. I promise it is there. As is tradition, I'll leave you with a clip from the album. Thanks again and good night. <laughs>